Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico. Got a great show for you tonight. I'm very excited to have uh, four wonderful uh, lady golf professionals uh, as my Coach's Corner panel tonight. I'm going to introduce you to them in just a moment. Uh, and then a little bit later on in the show, I'm going to be uh, excited to have joined me a very special guest, uh, Brett Freeman. And I'll tell you a little bit about him uh, later in the show. But let me just remind everybody, of course, we are live uh, every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on uh, the blogtalkradio.com network. And the best way to find us is go to blogtalkradio.com and up in the search key, just type Golf Talk Live, and that will take you to the main uh, page for the show. And for some reason, if you can't join us live on Thursdays, uh, you can just visit that link and scroll down to the on-demand section. And as, of course, as I've mentioned many times before, all of the shows are auto-recorded, so you can listen to them when it's convenient for you, especially for those of you in, in different time zones. So, uh, but for those of you joining us live tonight, I want to thank you from literally all around the globe. Um, some other great ways that you can tune in as well is you can go to uh, iTunes.com, Stitcher.com, or now TuneIn.com. And under the podcast section, you can just, again, type in Golf Talk Live, and you can listen under uh, some other great uh, social media platforms as well. Um, as I mentioned, always uh, excited to, to have the Coach's Corner panel. We've got a very special uh, panel here this evening. And uh, I'm going to introduce you again in just a moment here. But let me just, again, remind everybody, of course, we are live. If you want to call into the show at any time during uh, the live broadcast, you're welcome to do so uh, by simply calling the uh, main line, which is area code 646-716-4667. Uh, or you can also email me any questions or comments to the, about the show to me personally. My email address is ted.golftalklive at gmail.com and of course i update on all social media platforms including facebook uh twitter and uh also on linkedin so just visit any of the uh links for the show uh on facebook it's golf talk live blog my twitter handle is ted and buck ceo ceo being in capital letters and under my personal name uh ted odorico you can find me on linkedin as well so for any of you that uh, surface uh, or surf, if you will, uh, those social media platforms, you can get all kinds of information of who my guests are going to be for uh, each and every week. So make sure you check them out there. Um, as I mentioned, I've got some great uh, young ladies uh, on my Coach's Corner panel tonight, very special uh, Coach's Corner and very honored to have all of them. So let me just tell you a little bit about them and then we'll get into our, our discussion for this evening. Uh, of course, this uh, first young lady has been on the show a number of times. In fact, she comes back every year and a very interesting note, she was actually my very first official guest uh, on mm -hmm. Golf Talk Live six years ago. And her name is Nicole Weller. Uh, she's the head teach professional at the Landings Club in, uh, of course, beautiful Savannah, Georgia. And she's also a member of the LPGA Teaching and Club Professional uh, PGA of America, as well as the Proponent Group. 
Uh, also joining on the panel is Michelle Holmes. She's the Director of Instruction for the Michelle Holmes School of Golf, and she's also an LPGA teaching professional and uh, top 50 U.S. kids instructor. Uh, also rounding up the panel is Zoe Allen, uh, PGA Teach Professional at the Lurgan Golf Club in Ireland. So we've got somebody from overseas. And last but not least is Anna Deletta Daffin, who is a golf instructor as well at the Anna Deletta Golf School from Italy. So we've got two calling from overseas uh, to join us on this Coach's Corner. So I'm very, very excited about tonight. Um, something else, too, that I want to mention before I bring them on is they're all certified conductors uh, on the Little Golf Train, which is uh, a great organization that uh, Nicole uh, started a few years back, and uh, all of these ladies uh, are taking part in, in that particular project. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. So let me welcome them out here, and uh, we'll start our discussion on the panel discussion tonight. Um, ladies, welcome to uh, the Coach's Corner on Golf Talk Live. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. All right. My my Thank pleasure, you, ladies. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much. All right. So we're all here. We're all ready to go. So, Nicole, as I mentioned off air, we're going to start with you. And, and I think just for, for those that maybe are new tuning into the show that maybe haven't heard you before um, talk about this, uh, we're going to talk a little bit, of course, about um, the certification process and so forth. But specifically, what's the purpose? First off, what is the little golf train and what's its purpose? So, good question, and I first have to thank all the uh, ladies for being on tonight, especially Anna and Zoe, who are overseas at midnight and 1 a.m., so uh, probably a first time to talk about golf this early in the morning for them, but huge shout-out to everybody for taking time. Thank you. And, um, you know, last year we were on, I was on with Dr. Patricia Donnelly, who is the founder of Little Golf Train, and I'm the co-founder, and we um, really mm -hmm. teamed up about, gosh, it must be like four or five years ago to start the conceptual idea. And basically, Little Golf Train is a, is a concept to help pros learn how to work appropriately with ages two to five-year-olds. So a lot of other sports do that. Um, golf has kind of been a little bit late in that. So uh, we put together a certification program to help pros online learn about the, the ropes behind the process, the theory and um, the safety and the nutrition and the background. And uh, we also provide curricula for ages two to threes and then four to five in different um, venues and um, also a kit. So if a, a pro needs a kit with the, all the equipment, we have it readily available. It's a kit of convenience. So we just want to get some information out there for pros to and you know learn how to work with families at their facilities. Well said. And I think what's really interesting about this particular um, program, Nicole, as you sort of alluded to, there are a lot of great uh, teaching and coaching programs for juniors, uh, but this really uh, gets them obviously number one at a very, very early age uh, and provides not just a, a, a fantastic program to be offered to the students, but also a way for other golf professionals like yourself in the industry to really, you know, find ways of, of learning to work with such a, a young age group because obviously it's not very uh, easy for a lot of people and you offer some, some different steps uh, and process for that. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, and, and one thing I found very interesting, I, I went on, of course, to the, um, to the website for Little Golf Train, and uh, there are actually several steps, in fact, six to be exact, uh, along the way to becoming uh, a Little Golf Train certified conductor. I like the fact that you use the, the terminology conductor as opposed to instructor. Uh, kind of adds a, a cute little twist to it. Talk a little bit about the steps and, and the process. So for those coaches that might be listening to the show th uh, this evening, um, what 
some of the proceeds it is to go through to becoming uh, a certified conductor on the little golf train. Sure. And uh, Patricia and I came up with, um, you know, a couple different ideas, and we ended up with the online certification. Hopefully it will help people from having to travel to locations and whatnot. So the online option was really good. Um, we do a, actually a live workshop now um, during PGA Show Week. We do a three-hour session there. So the live has been really fun. And um, like seeing Anna was there, Zoe, Michelle, it's, it's kind of like seeing – I don't know, like your golf sisters and sharing ideas. And it was really neat to see them in person and share that. So, you know, when someone's interested, they go online to littlegolftrain.com. Uh, we have a lot of information there. We also have characters that we build out to help um, teach interpersonal skills or nutrition or fitness or um, those kind of aspects. And, and you know, um, the eager elephant works on the swing as well and the golf portion. But um, they sign up and um, – uh, there's a payment process there. It's typically 6.95, but we do have a coupon um, for the first 50 instructors who um, sign up, and so uh, we can provide that coupon if they send the email information to info at littlegolftrain.com, and uh, so they would put that payment in, and then they get a background check um, would be something they would go through next, and once it's cleared, uh, then we're able to uh, give them the information to go online and start the online uh, certification and studying and. I think we had one person go through it in a couple of days, and then some people go through it in wow. a few weeks and maybe in a few months. It just depends on, you know, how quickly they want to read through it. But the online is pretty cool. It's you read the information, and then we have these fun little pop-up quizzes, so you can't go forward until you get the right answer. It's just kind of learning. And at the end, <laughs> you have your master test. And from there, you're going to learn about theory, nutrition, working with children, the behind-the-scenes, the safety. Um, we're working on the golf module as well. And uh, once you're, you're fully passed, uh, then you become an online um, certified conductor on our little golf train. We have a lot of golf themes. And uh, from there, um, you have access to all the online information with the agendas and the schedules and the teaching program. And um, you have the access to buy the kit. We only provide it to our certified conductors. Right. Um, and let me ask you this, Michelle, I, I think is a, uh, an obvious – or sorry, Nicole, I apologize. Um, I haven't moved on to Michelle yet. Nicole, um, you obviously have a lot of uh, great coaches and teaching professionals out there that um, work with um, junior golfers, which is, of course, the theme on Coach's Corner tonight. Um, what are some of the things that you're looking for, um, you know, when sort of selecting uh, some, some of the teachers uh, and coaches that you invite into this program? Because obviously there are certain key elements that maybe you're looking for, because uh, it may not be for everybody. I mean, it's a great program, but not every golf instructor out there may uh, work as well or as proficiently uh, with the junior golfers as they do with, uh, you know, sort of our run-the-mill everyday golfers. So are there specific things that you're looking for or that you encourage them to make sure they understand uh, before they take on uh, this journey? No, that's a good question, and I think, you know, as far as, um, you know, we're looking for people who are interested in helping kids learn about life through golf, giving them a really cool environment in which to do that, very much like a, a preschool environment, but it's all done through golf, and it's, it's more about life lessons than just hitting a ball. This is so not adult, and we've got to get out of the adult hat and put on the kid's hat to learn this. So, you know, it's not just for a PGA or LPGA professional. It could be um, a golf professional. It could be a coach. It could be, um, you know, somebody who's very interested in helping develop their program, uh, even a you know, great volunteer. 
So, um, you know, going through the background check and then getting certified is, is key there. Even somebody at the YMCA could do that. Um, but I know it's not for everyone, and we talk about that. It's, um, you know, not everyone's cup of tea. Everybody has their interest and niche. So if, you know, if, if it's not your thing, that's really cool. But find somebody who can help you build this out because other sports have figured it out. There's a, there's a, a big need for it to get kids into sports and into activities, and there are really good ways yep. to do it. And, you know, finding someone on your team who's great at it, whether it's a, um, a youth person or a player development type of person, somebody who has that interest could be a, you know, a school teacher who has the summers off and you kind of work something out and, you know, that person helps, helps the program with his or her background. So we're looking for people who want to engage and have a great time with the kids and families that get down on their level, that have do things with colors and numbers and, and counting and, um, you know, things that are going to be very interesting to a youngster at that age and really understand that it is so not adult. You know, if it's a reverse grip or if it's just putting the ball in the hole by squatting next to it, that's cool. They got the concept, ball and hole. But the way they do it is going to be so kid-oriented, and we, we want somebody who's, I don't know, almost a fun kid themselves to have a good time with it, you know? Right. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think it a lot of it stems to the personality of the instructor or coach um, you know, and again, there's a lot of great golf professionals out there, but as you pointed out, you know, we all have to address, uh, our own niche, if you will. And that may not be for everybody, but that doesn't mean that if you know somebody that's uh, in the golf profession, uh, it may not be something that that's best suited for you, let's say, um, uh, but you may know somebody in the profession that, uh, might be of interest. So you want to make sure you pass this information around and we'll give right. you the, the website information again as we, as we go through the show. So just because it may not be uh, your cup of tea, as it will, doesn't mean that you might not know somebody else that you could refer to it. So we'll, we'll do that as we progress. All right, I want to move on to Michelle Holmes, of course. Michelle, again, welcome to the show. And, you know, on the theme of, of, of junior golf, uh, I, I found it very interesting. I went to your website, and uh, you have specific goals uh, for your junior golf camps, and I wanted to uh, touch on just a few of them here and, and kind of get your thought and feedback and then, uh, you know, obviously your thoughts about the, the little golf train as well. And the first thing that I noticed in, under your goals is obviously it, you've derived that it's important that we teach uh, many of the fundamentals of the golf swing, uh, everything from pitching, chipping, and putting uh, in a fun, inspiring, and in a learning atmosphere. Why does that become, do you think, uh, an important issue when working with juniors um, as opposed to some of our traditional uh, teaching methods that we, we often uh, use. Why is that important to, to sort of put it in that, that frame? Uh, well, I think to keep kids involved in the sport and we have to keep it fun and we have to keep it engaging. And the mission of the Michelle Holmes School of Golf is to create experiences that encourage kids to play the game forever. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, my goal isn't always to create you know, a world championship golfer. My goal is to create a, a, a golfer that's going to play for the rest of their life. Right. And, and you obviously want them to, as we all know, kind of get bitten by the bug, if you will. And if they're not in a fun learning environment, um, they're obviously, as I'm sure you all know, um, it's going to leave somewhat of a bad taste in their mouth and they're not likely to continue on with the game. So, Give us an example of, of some things that you like to do and, and how you engage, uh, because it isn't, as I said, it isn't easy teaching juniors, because uh, especially at a, a very young age, um, because their attention span, uh, they, they can get distracted very easy. Um, 
what kinds of games, maybe give us some examples of types of things that you do in your programs to kind of help keep them on track. And, and traditionally, what is the um, typical length of time that you allot to some of these things in order to not get uh, you know, too, uh, too drawn out and, and lose, lose their interest? Okay, so I have a couple of th- different things I'd like to touch on there. Um, one of the first things we do when a child comes to our program, we really want to make sure that they're in the right program for them. So we spend a lot mm-hmm. of time sitting down with the parent and the child and just making sure that we're all on a common goal here. We've all got the same journey in mind. I know one mistake I would have made as an instructor at the beginning was I just thought every child wanted to be the best golfer on the planet. And where I've realized right. now that not that's not everyone's goal. Some people are in, just in it for a, you know extracurricular activity, or some people want to go on and you know compete at the world championships and whatnot. But I think it's very important to sit down with the parent and child and make sure the three of us are on the same plan. If that makes sense. No, that's perfect sense. Um, let me ask you sort of a follow-up question, just since you, you brought it up about parents. Um, and, and obviously we're talking about a little bit older, uh, you know, kids, obviously, you know, at two and three years old, they're not thinking about, um, you know, uh, playing in the next, um, you know, PGA or LPGA event at that point. Um, you know, they're just more or less looking to have some fun. Um, but there comes a point in time that maybe their skill level uh, is such that there's some interest there and uh, there's certainly – um, a level of, of, and I hate to use this word, but competence, if you will, in their ability, that maybe they might say, hey, you know what, this is something I could, I could sort of run with and, and, and develop into a very good game. But then parents kind of sometimes creep in there as well and, and push the child. How do you find a balance with the parents and the child to make sure that the parents don't get too aggressive and end up pushing the child beyond their abilities? I just think it's that constant communication, that constant open, open communication between the child and the parent and just involving the parent in the process. I mean, when I do classes, I don't necessarily have my parents there in the class, but what I often do is right. I have the parents come out for maybe 15 minutes after the class or the lesson, and I have the child teach the information they've learned back to the parents. And it just gives me a good idea, you know, is the child under understanding the um, the information we're giving them? And it just, it really gets the parent invested in exactly where we are and how fast or how slow we're progressing. Right, right. And and I agree with that. And I think everyone on the panel would, would probably agree that, um, you know, it's about finding a balance. It's about keeping those lines of communication between the parents and the child. Um, but it's also, I think... Um, and I think everybody, again, would agree that, that you as the coach have to have sort of alone time with the student to be able to foster some of the, the development that you want to have there without, you know, always worrying about interference or, uh, you know, pressure from the parents. And that there's a time and a place when they need to step back and allow you to do uh, your job, if you will. Um, so that obviously, I think uh, we would all agree that that becomes an important uh, issue as well. Um, just a, a sort of a final thought um, uh, Michelle, and then I'm going to move on and, and give uh, Zoe an opportunity to jump in here, and then we'll we'll talk to Anna as well. Um, mm-hmm. The last one, Michelle, I want to talk to you about is obviously you emphasize through your programs um, a, a strong focus, if you will, on the etiquette and the rules of the game. Now, obviously, at a very early age, sometimes they can be a little bit confusing, um, 
but at the same time, it is important that we start them at a very early age to understand that there are rules and there is a certain etiquette. So how do you, how do you manage that without sort of talking over uh, the students' heads, given, given their age? Um, I guess I just I try to teach on the golf course as much as possible. I mean, when you're dealing with rules and etiquette, you know, it's not just a matter of handing a child a book or lecturing them on it. But I think if you right. get them out on the golf course and, you know, if they break a rule out on the golf course, you know, you simply correct them on it. And when they break it on the golf course and they're corrected on it, they're never going to forget that. So I think it's just being active on the golf course with them and kind of letting them learn from their mistakes as much as possible. Yeah, and I think it's and I think it's good that they they sort of get a taste of, of obviously the basic rules, and then as they mature and develop, I mean, obviously, I'm sure you're able to introduce um, maybe some more advanced rules and things. I mean, the basic etiquette, I think most kids can can certainly understand, but there are some some more complicated rules and so forth that they're going to have to learn, especially if they're interested in playing uh, more competitive golf as they as they again develop their games. Um, so that becomes an issue as well that you want to make sure that they're on the right track. Um, Zoe, I want to move to you to give you an opportunity to, to jump in here and, and then we'll, we'll talk to Anna. So Zoe, um, thank you first off again for, for joining the program tonight. And I know that you're calling from Ireland. Uh, and it's, as Nicole uh, said in the very beginning, it's very uh, late or very early, depending on, on how you look at it. Um, but you also have a, a junior coaching program that you have as well. And um, I want to maybe, for those that maybe aren't uh, understanding what the difference between coaching and an instructor is, how do you define each of them? How do you define uh, more of a coaching style as opposed to just a traditional uh, golf instructor? Yeah, well, thanks very much for having me, uh, Ted. Well, I guess as a coach, you're trying to teach in a way that, you know, children or kids don't realize that they're actually being taught. You're trying to let them learn through self-discovery, through playing games. You know, they're coming to a session, for example, for fun, but you're hoping that they are picking up a few things sort of as they as they go. I guess an instructor was very kind of, you know, if you like black and white, lining up at a driving range bed, everyone doing the same thing, hitting the same shots trying to give a few sort of pointers to players. Um, whereas nowadays, I sort of think the role as a coach has changed. Um, you can set up lots of fun games, activities. And I think you touched on it earlier, Ted, that you have to try and have sort of the next thing set up, the next plan. You know, you don't spend too long on one activity before the kids do get bored. So you have to always have sort of the backup right. or the next thing ready for them. Yeah, and, and again, that, that I'm sure that's a... a uh, quite a balancing act and and it takes a lot of preparation and timing to think a lot of this thing out it's not just a matter of you know they they roll up with their parents and and uh, you know the car door is open and you're ready to go there's obviously a lot of preparation involved um, to uh, you know to be able to receive these students and have sort of a game plan and obviously I would assume and correct me if I'm wrong that sometimes depending on how things go you may even have to adapt your original plan uh, you know, given the age uh, groups that sometimes you might be dealing with, because uh, you never know, thing, mishaps can happen and, and uh, you know, maybe some uncooperation, if you will, from some of them uh, might creep in. So you might have to adapt uh, on the fly. Does that happen sometimes with, with, uh, with the coaching programs? 
yes, most definitely that does happen um, quite regularly. So you'll try and have a couple of different uh, games set up, always sort of one or two as backup, um, especially for coaching the, the younger ones, three- and four-year-olds. You have to have lots of different stations. Um, that was something we learned in the little golf train because you never know when they're just going to get fed up with one or get bored. Um, the funny thing is it could be a game that they loved one week and you sort of think that's a safe game, I'll play it this week again, and they're not interested. So you always have to kind of be ready, sort of have plenty set up and maybe even have one or two things sort of in the back burner just in case you need to pull upon those during a session. Yeah, and, and uh, I, again, I think we would all agree that that's something that, uh, again, you have to be willing to adapt and and, um, and and make changes on the on the fly because I'm sure that happens probably more often than most people think. Um, let me ask you something. Uh, you know, here in the United States, uh, and Nicole, I think you can probably back me up on this. One of the fastest growing demographics uh, in the golf industry right now is is uh, young girls and and young women. Uh, are, are in fact it's one of the largest uh, fastest growing demographics uh, new to the game uh, a- aging from a range from say 12 13 years old up into uh, their late 20s even early 30s um, are young girls Zoe in Ireland uh, starting to take an interest in golf or is it primarily um, the young boys that, that you're finding have an interest in, in getting into the game yeah I think, Ted, it's really it's a bit of both. Uh, girls aren't just um, on the increase, I don't think, in Ireland as rapidly as what they would be um, across the water. Definitely a lot of boys, but we do have, um, you know, girls that are starting to play. And, you know, you sort of find when you get sort of 12, 13-year-old girls in and they then get their friends in, you sort of start something off. So it definitely is in the increase. Um, not so rapidly just yet, but it, it's great to see a lot of girls playing because I know when I was growing up and um, there weren't too many girls that were really playing, so it's nice to see girls having other girls um, playing the game. So I hope in the next couple of years it definitely will c- continue to grow. Yeah, I, I agree, and I, I think we're going to see that as more and more, uh, especially through some of the great uh, efforts um, and and again, Nicole, I, I know you can attest to this with the LPJ organization, um, not mm-hmm. just at the players level, but at the, at the teaching professional level. Um, there's so many great programs out there that are really inviting to young ladies uh, and trying to get them interested, not just in playing the game, but maybe also interested in teaching. Um, can you maybe shed a little light on that? Obviously, you're within the LPJ organization, so you have a little bit more insight perhaps than I do. But what are some of the things that you've seen happen over the last few years that uh, are really starting to uh, have an effect on, on the uh, young girl market? Well, that's a good question. And, and one of the biggest impacts, um, we're, we're seeing a lot more of the girls getting out there, but LPGA has a program called LPGA USGA Girls Golf, and um, it is tremendous. It was started by Sandy right. LaBeouf. Um, uh, wow, a while ago now, she just needed a program to get her girls going. And LPGA picked up on it, USGA is on. It's tremendous. So they, they help over 50,000 girls a year. They've helped over 300, and, 300 or 350,000 girls since the inception. And um, I think their goal is to get over 100,000 girls golfing a year, and the numbers are getting there. Um, there's over 250, close to 300 chapters around the country. So um, we have one at the Landings Club on Skidaway Island. 
Um, I had a really cool one in Knoxville, and now Louise Ball um, has taken that over, and uh, it's just neat to see. How about for you, Michelle, in your area? And yeah, we have maybe three or four different LPGA girls programs within, I'd say, 45 minutes of me, so mm-hmm. it can off here, too. Perfect. Yeah, it's really nice. Perfect. And, it, you know, it focuses a lot on the social part of the game, not just the skill. It's getting the girls out there. You know, it might be arts. It might be crafts. It might be a, a field trip. It, um, it's, really, it's really come a long way. And they also have regional academies now and a really nice leadership academy. So that program is huge. And anyone, you know, girls starting at age six, seven, uh, up to the teens should definitely check it out. Perfect. Um, Zoe, what about yourself? Uh, is there some programs um, outside of your own uh, coaching program and that that's available in, in uh, your area in Ireland um, that's doing much like uh, Nicole and Michelle just talked about to encourage and, and, and get uh, some of the young ladies uh, out to play? Is there some things going on there now or that you know of that maybe hasn't started yet but maybe coming up? Yeah, okay, well, actually, I was very fortunate to um, get chatting to the LPGA girls um, last year at the PGA show in Orlando, so that was in 2017, uh, January time, and they yep. were actually uh, very keen to get a program started in Ireland. So I'm actually very fortunate that I do currently um, run an LPGA girls golf in Ireland. Um, now, it's probably not as oh, big as what the others are. We just set it as, at one event a month. Um, so I would have anywhere between kind of 15 and 20 girls at that. So it is a start. And as Nicole said, it's as much a social event as it is a golf event. Um, we sort of kicked off last year um, for St. Patrick's. So it was a St. Patrick's Day themed event. And the girls love it. They all come dressed right. in green and they have their little hats on. <laughs> and um, so we actually had one year on, we had our St. Patrick's one there on Friday the 16th of March. Um, so, yeah, the events happen once a month, and it's a golf social event. It's on a Friday night. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're, we're slowly but surely catching up, just little things as we go. But, yeah, the, the girls love it. It's great. Well, and I, and I think what's uh, – and, and much the same happened here, uh, you know, a few years back in the United States as some of these programs started to, to come to fruition, if you will. Um, you know, until word gets out and – and some momentum gets building, it is a little bit of a slow start. But I think, uh, Zoe, and, and again, I'm sure both Michelle and Nicole would, would probably back me up, that, that once word gets out there that there are these types of programs available to uh, not just juniors, but young girls in particular, um, you know, which is an area that we want to grow and develop uh, you know, for, for a lot of different reasons, um, I think that in Ireland and other areas as well, you'll start to see a much more rapid growth. I mean, we've seen um, the development over in areas like Korea and um, Singapore and other uh, China uh, with a lot of the young ladies that have come out on, uh, in droves on the LPGA tour um, because of programs that have sort of reached out, if you will, into those areas. So I'm sure you're going to see this uh, happen on a much bigger global scale as more and more nations uh, get into um, – you know, development with the LPGA and, and other organizations and PGA of America as well. Uh, and also, I'm sure uh, later this year when Susie Whaley, of course, who's going to be uh, the new president of the PGA of America, uh, the first female president um, that it's ever had, I'm sure we're going to see some great stuff uh, is going to be coming out of, out of that uh, uh, tenure. So we're looking forward to, to uh, Susie doing some great work. 
Okay, I want to move on to uh, another uh, great professional joining us from Italy, uh, Anna Deletta. Uh Anna, can you hear me still okay? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, okay. All right, I've got just a few questions for you, and then we're going to kind of go to everybody a little bit. Um, the first question I have for you, Anna, is how popular is children's golf in Italy? Uh, in Italy, golf is not so popular. All know what golf is, but it's also a sport for few people. Uh, so there are many little uh, golf clubs with six or nine holes where golfers play with a little budget. I don't think that Italian children prefer other sports. The problem is that parents believe that golf is an exclusive sport. My golf school has some 30 children from 6 to 16 years old, and many of these became golfers because have broke by a friend, golfers, of course. Right. Well said. Um, so it's, it's something that obviously is starting to, to grow a little bit in Italy as well. Uh, how is it changing uh, in Italy uh, in golf with uh, children ages, say, 2 to 6? Is there changes happening there? Uh, yes, in Italy, not many golf clubs are open for children to five years. But some professional golfers are interested to know this new part of our job. Two years ago, I was looking for something new about junior coaching, and I found Little Girl Train. The last April, I organized an open day for Little Children, and it has been a success. More than 20 children played golf with the family, parents, grandparents, and all began a Little Girl Train class. The way of understanding the junior body is changing, and Yes, kids' golf uh, uh, has been the key in Italy. Wow, fantastic! And and uh, Nicole, that's got to be a, a ringing endorsement for for your program, the little golf train, to know that it's impacting uh, with such success uh, across the pond, if you will, in Italy. Um, your thoughts on that? Oh, very much. And Anna's a superstar over there. Um, She's done just a wonderful job there. We're hoping to one day go over and do a little bit more, but um, just to see her ideas come through. And I was thinking about what I've learned from Michelle, Zoe, and Anna, and I've picked up so much from them um, as far as their games and their ideas, and it's just so neat to share that. But um, to see the kids out there um, in Italy having a great time, Zoe had a wonderful video with the kids doing a train with pool noodles, which we used, so... Um, just it's really great to share the ideas and you know I think it's universal that parents want to give their children the best possible abilities and so to see Anna like doing PGA Italy at a um, at a big fair and and having a, an area there where the kids could come to fitness and tie it in with golf that that is pretty cool to see um, little golf train go international and, and what it can do with that yeah fantastic and as I said, what a what a ringing endorsement for for a great program uh, to be able to, um, you know, in some way just sort of ignite the fire, if you will, uh, in an area like that. And and obviously, you know, as I was alluding to earlier in the program, you know, once that message starts to get out there, and you know, between the kids that are participating, as well as the parents and grandparents, as as, uh, as Anna just pointed out, 
um, you know, word travels fast, and before you know it, you know, you're filling up classroom after classroom, if you will, or class, uh, classes, shall I say, um, of, of more programs. Uh, Anna, let me ask you another question uh, about golf. Is it, is it generally accepted there in Italy? Uh, what, what is, how is golf uh, accepted there? Golf for very little golfers is accepted in few golf clubs. In Italy, all golfers must be registered uh, to the Federation, and there you can register okay. only from six years old. Under this age, for the Italian Federation, it's not possible to play golf, and most of clubs respect it. Other clubs, like right. my, like mine, uh, have a special dedicated insurance for kids. What about other sports, Anna, in Italy um, for young children, like football and maybe skiing and other things like that? How is that uh, uh, for, for children in, in uh, Italy? Um, yes, dance, swimming, basket is <laughs> also. Um, in Italy, some children do uh, psychomotricity. Uh, I think that uh, is a very important activity for them. And uh, I could be interested to organize a class uh, with an, uh, an expert of this uh, mm-hmm. and a golf coach. Uh, all this done outdoor is a great opportunity for, chi- for children. Very good. Um, thank you for that, uh, Anna. Um, Michelle, let me ask you, uh, and, and Zoe, um, and, and Anna, of course, uh, you've now decided to become part of uh, this little golf train as a certified uh, conductor. And I'm going to go with Michelle and, and Zoe, and then uh, we'll finish up with Anna. Michelle, what is it? um, How does this change the dynamics uh, for what you're doing? What is it? um, What new opportunities does it offer you uh, as a junior uh, golf uh, coach, if you will, um, by utilizing the program that, uh, that Nicole and, and uh, her partner have developed? And well, first of all, I have to say I, I've learned so much from the program. And now one of our biggest programs uh, in our school is actually our PB program, ages two to six. And so I'm so thankful mm-hmm. for Little Golf Train for that. But of course, like from Little Golf Train, like we learned so much about safety, nutrition, games. But for me, the biggest thing was learning the different stages of child development. I mean, there's a big difference. I don't think I knew this before the program. There's a massive difference between um, a three-year-old and a five-year-old. You know, like a three-year-old. Right. You know, when you're dealing with a class of three-year-olds, like a three-year-old might not be able to understand, you know, what's mine and what's yours, or they might not understand, you know, we've got to take turns. Or they may not be able to, like, show empathy towards another three-year-old that's crying whereas a four-year-old or maybe a five-year-old could do that. So for me, that was the biggest thing, you know, from the program was just learning so much about the different stages of child development. Right. Uh, and, and obviously, uh, again, that, that's extremely important to understand the differences because, uh, again, just because you have students uh, ranging from, you know, so let's say two to six or three to five, um, you know, obviously there are things that are age appropriate um, that you can teach certainly a five-year-old a little bit differently than you could a three-year-old, let's say, as you've just pointed out. So there's obviously things that the instructor or coach has to be mindful of 
um, to make sure that that you know obviously everybody's having a good time and 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 you know make sure that again that what you're doing is age appropriate because it's I'm sure it can be very frustrating not only for the student but for the coaches as well if you're trying to teach to a three-year-old uh, at a five-year-old level um, it's just not going to happen um, right um, Zoe what about yourself you, you've obviously become a, a certified uh, uh, conductor as well with a little golf train um, what what I guess possibilities has it opened for you uh, and where do you see uh, the development of it as as time moves on uh, for where you're concerned yeah, in Ireland. Yeah, well, I definitely have to agree with Michelle um, on what she said. Trying to learn how kids of different ages learn and develop um, was very important. But I think another thing that I really took from and still do take from the little golf train is that on a very first session, I'm sure my first session was like this with um, the little ones, you don't have to show, you know, take their hands off the club and position them on correctly. And you're not trying to right. build a world-class player. They're only three or four. You're just trying to make sure that they have an experience that they're going to enjoy. Um, like Nicole said earlier as well, you know, they're trying to get the ball in the hole. And if they're down on their knees and they roll it into the hole, they're still trying to get the golf experience. Um, so I guess right. a lot of the sort of little golf train development for me was if they want to hold it the wrong way around or upside down or with one hand or hit it with the back of the club or the toe of the club or you really just have to let them, let them discover it, let them try it out, let them get the ball moving forward. Um, obviously, as a golf coach, you're always trying to show them the right way. You know, and, and Nicole's a great one for asking, you know, can you do it this way or can you try it this way? Um, but that's a, a big thing I've learned from it, as well as the footprints. Um, you know, putting two footprints on a driving range mat or a driving range bay, show them where to stand. And, you know, three- and four-year-olds can work it out. They know where to put their feet if, if you're able to show them and somewhere to put them. So the little golf train has um, done a lot in terms of what way to coach and maybe not coach as much as you think you should coach at that age, but continually show them and encourage them. Um, and if they do hit it with the toe of the club or the heel of the club or whatever way they like to hit it, always give them praise and encouragement that they've done a great job. Um, that's been a yeah. big help um, from the little golf train. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, and I think as the child, you know, as we sort of mentioned earlier, as the child develops uh, and and has more um, of an interest of, of playing, let's say, in a, in a more competitive environment, and, and again, age appropriate, then you can start getting into sort of fine tuning. Uh, and, and, you know, as Michelle touched on earlier, you know, with the rules and the etiquette, um, you know, to try and explain to a three year old uh, the rules and the etiquette of golf is just not, not going to go over very well, I'm pretty sure. And I think obviously we have to be mindful of that. But uh, obviously, there, there are going to be some students that maybe show uh, some great, um, you know, adaption to. Uh, the, the sport or the game, and, and we want to encourage them to continue, especially if, you know, as they get older. Um, but again, we have to be mindful. Uh, Anna, I want to ask you another question. Um, you mentioned earlier uh, that when you, you started the little golf train over uh, in Italy, that it was uh, very well received. How are the parents of some of those young golfers in Italy? Are they helpful? Uh, do they tend to be very excited about the experience or or are they sometimes maybe a little bit too helpful? My, my experience studying parents uh, are also. 
they want to know, to have their fun, <laughs> and also me as coach. They are helpful to follow the lesson and to learn. Right. Um, what kinds of equipment do you like to use uh, when you're working with the kids? What types of things uh, do you like to use? What equipment? I uh, use uh, equipment, and uh, I love to yes. use kids like that. Uh, but I love to go to the game shop because there I have the best ideas for my lessons. Um, for example, Lego to put the ball, sit in the right position, plastic animals as target for packing, and many others. All to have fun. Always fun. Yeah, that's the number one. Well, thank you for that, Anna. That's a that's a great uh, a great answer. So, Michelle, or sorry, Nicole, I wanted to sort of bring this full circle um, a, a little bit. You know, as we wind down here in the last little bit of the show. Um, you know, obviously, all all of our, our fellow panelists here uh, are are certified conductors. Uh, with a little golf training, and I know you're very proud of, of the growth and development and, and hearing some of the stories that, that they've shared here tonight. Um, but let's talk about the, the parents' perspective. Um, if they maybe want to introduce their little one to a, a great program, regardless of where it is, whether it's here in the United States or, or over with Anna or uh, Zoe or, or Michelle, um, what would you say to parents that maybe reach out and say, I've got a little one that sort of falls in that, that age range. Uh, what do you recommend to them, and how do they, they sort of get started? How do, you, how do they approach that? Uh, that's a good question. I think looking to see who's in the area on our website, we have a list of some of our certified conductors, and they can see which states they're in or which countries they're in and touch base to see how developed their programs are and if that works out for them. Um, you know, and if there isn't someone in the area, maybe they could approach their coach or pro or the facility and say, hey, would you or somebody at the facility be interested in getting certified? We, you know, we'd like to put a program together. I think um, what I found is that sometimes I'll schedule a program, like I did one this spring. It's Saturdays at 1.30, and I found out it's nap time for most of the kids in the, in the uh, facility, so it didn't work out on that time. So, you know, again, you got to kind of keep that in mind and that, that's the thing you deal right. with, you know. Um, we always have one parent there per child in my two- to three-year-old group um, because of, obviously, restroom breaks and diapers and whatnot. So we like to have one parent right. there to help out the child. And so the parents <clears throat> are also learning while they're there. And I think every parent has their child at the best interest in their heart. And how, sometimes sure. how it gets expressed may not be for what we see as coaches is best for the child. Um you know, like teeing up the shot every time for the child or taking their hands off and putting it what the adult thinks is right. But, you know, you've got to let that child explore and do it their way because it's not adult golf yet. It's like trying to put a three-year-old in a high school classroom. It's got to be child-friendly. So I'm really into, you know, having the adult, here's what we're working on, here's how we're going to say it, you know, where are those thummies? I don't see them quite yet. Um, and, you know, encouraging right. the parents to, to let the adult hat go and to encourage the child to do it um, in their way. They're going to have plenty of time to learn what we learn, but they're not adults yet. So we got to let them be kids and explore and stay safe. So um, 
But see if there's anyone in the area. If not, um, you know, see if somebody will start the program. I also have flashcards that I've created for ages two through six that are a lot of fun for golf terms and matching. And I've written a book for ages three through eight um, called Stick to Sports, Let's Play Golf. So there are um, some fun ideas in there as well. And I, I wrote it with the idea of giving parents a way to give the children some ideas and rhymes like one, two, show your shoe or tick-tock, swing the clock. So hopefully some of those ideas right. will be a good start. Yeah, and I think it's it, well said, Nicole. I, I think it's very important, um, no matter what level, um, you know, you're, for those parents that are tuning into the show out there that might be listening and, and sort of sitting on the fence, well, is this something, you know, is my child ready? Um, obviously, you're taking a very simplistic approach given the age ranges that we're talking about and you're trying not to make it too complicated. We're not looking to, um, you know, necessarily develop the next, uh, you know, top uh, golf professional uh, no. on, on any of the tours. Um, you're looking really just to, uh, as you said, teach some life lessons for the students, but also introduce them to a game that may very well be something that they may want to aspire to be a, a top-level player, or maybe they just want to have fun uh, recreationally with friends or family or something that, you know, as they develop a little bit more with their grandparents or parents. Um, so there's a lot of different avenues that they can take. Um, you mentioned about uh, nutrition, Nicole, a little bit uh, earlier as well. Um, is, is this something that uh, generally that when you put these uh, programs or classes together, uh, is this something that, that you provide or um, work with the parents and they sort of bring whatever little snack or something because I'm sure you have to have a break and snack uh, time when you're dealing with youngsters like that. How do, how do you sort of set that up and, and making sure that you're addressing uh, perhaps specific needs uh, for some children that may have allergies or things like that? How do, you, how do you work that? Yeah, I just thought about like 10 things I could talk about. So let me cut it down really short. But, oh. um, you, you know, okay. there, there's so much we can do with nutrition, not just from talking about healthy food, but the emotional connection and how we use food. Um, TRAIN actually is an acronym. The T stands for Teaching Through Play. The R is research-based. The A is age-appropriate. The I is intrinsic rewards, never extrinsic at this age. Um, you know, extrinsic rewards like trophies and medals and things that they get for doing it are no. not cool at this age. It does not teach what they need. And the N is for nutrition, healthy nutrition. And Dr. Donnelly is really big into uh, the nutrition component. She's very good with a lot of that. And that's part of our um, program. So uh, we talk about healthy nutrition, but also the fact that you don't use nutrition as reward. You know, in the past, I grew up like, all right, right. we're going to play for a candy bar or, you know, an ice cream. Yep. And that, you know, the, the kids will learn very quickly that if they do something and get something for it, they won't do it. And uh, Dr. Donnelly's got some great research that I learned a lot, like Michelle and Billy were talking about and Anna at the live workshop, but I learned a lot from her nutrition piece, and she's got so many great stats about the obesity issue that we're dealing with and just the, the habits, right. you know, our lifestyles of um, how we eat now because we're so much on the run. Um, but in our program for two to threes, we'll have some snacks, and I'll have a little tiny, like, you know, those cone cups for water drinking on the course. Those are perfect. And yep. we may put some, you know, yep. goldfish in there or some grapes. We'll give them some options. I think it's important that not everybody likes everything, but they get to try it. Um, the safety of it is important, asking um, what they're allergic to. You know, so we have to be careful of sure. that. 
um, especially small cut-up pieces, not for choking. I always have hand sanitizer right. there. We do the, the hand squish, we call it, and clean our hands off, and we're sitting when we're eating and not walking around. And it's a great time to talk about colors, what, what color of food is blue, and what's a healthy color of food that's green. And, um, you know, even games yeah. like for the older kids, um, you know, if spaghetti ends in the letter I, what's a, a food that starts with an I? And then the next person, you know, ice cream ends in an M. What's a food that starts with an M? Right. So you can use those as learning tools. And um, in our kit, we actually have healthy food flashcards. And I've actually found a cool little uh, game where you can dump out all these healthy foods and reorganize them by grains or proteins or breads or whatever. And uh, that's a great busy activity for the kids to do before. So some places are comfortable doing the food, others are not. But we we do after-school snacks and we do holiday snacks too. So it's a great time to talk about what foods fuel energy. And um, we always do water. We don't do any drinks that have sugar in it. Um, So that's definitely not helpful after school once the kids are out to put sugar in them anymore. (laughs) So water is always the best. and. We always say, you know, eight ounces of water every 30 minutes for an adult. So for a kid, they don't know that. We say you need at least um, one at one or two big fingers worth of water. So giving them a visual because they learn yep. through observation is really key. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and, and well said, well put together, Nicole. Um, and, and and you're exactly right. You, you, you don't want to be um, hopping them up on sugar, um, that's going to cut into nap time uh, for sure because they'll be bouncing around the golf course for for hours afterwards, and I'm sure most of the parents wouldn't appreciate that. So that's some sound advice for for those running those uh, programs. Um, just in the last few moments here, uh, Nicole, if you wouldn't mind, uh, maybe just touch on very very briefly um, how long when you when you put together a program like you said you you did uh, you know for the spring. Uh, how long does it traditionally run for? Is it a sort of a one day at a time, or is it a string of, of you know, days uh, put together, or what's the typical length of the program or, or, or time frame? Well, I think that's the beauty of the program, and I think the other ladies will attest to you've got to find what works for you. So in the agenda that we put together, we, we put together just a one-day event or a three-day or a five-day mm-hmm. or a 12-day, and you can make that anything you want. If it you know, works out to eight or ten weeks, that's fine. But for the ages two to three after school, I find a half hour is great. Um, in the summer when it's so hot, a half hour is great. Our four to fives can go yep. an hour, but you need a lot of different activities. They move around. Um, but we also have holiday camps at our place that works out well. So Thanksgiving morning, I've got a one-hour, two- to three-year-old program, and sometimes we'll have eight or ten people there, you know, Thanksgiving morning and coming out to play the day after Christmas or the day before, depending on when it falls on the calendar. Um, Easter Saturday next week, we've got five, four- to five-year-olds coming on Saturday uh, during our six- to 12-year-old group, and we're working on our two- to threes. One fourth of July day, we had 18 two to three year olds show up. So I think it depends on wow. what works for the facility. And I know one of our new conductors, Susan Seiden in um, North Carolina, is really pumped up. She's got a, a group that she's starting in April. So it depends on what works for your community. And I always start small and work up. You know, start with the four to fives, and then you can add a two to three in and start with less, do a good job with that, and then you can build with it. But I'm always happy to talk to someone. Give me a shout. You know, we can talk about what works at your facility, and I'm happy to coach you through it. Perfect. Well said. Um, 
and very uh, again, very quickly, Nicole, uh, just to let the folks know if they want to learn, uh, not just uh, for the coaches out there that might be tuning in tonight if they're interested in maybe uh, learning more about the certification program uh, to become a, a conductor on the little golf train, but also for parents that might be tuning in that have got a little youngster, uh, you know, maybe age two to six, um, that they might want to consider, um, you know, enrolling into to some of the different uh, classes and courses wherever they may be. Um, how can they uh, get more information on it? Where do they need to go? Um, good question. Definitely check out the website, littlegolftrain.com. When you sign on, there's a train whistle, so don't be alarmed, but uh, that's a good place to go. Check out anybody in the area that's listed under our certified conductors, and, um, and we have an email, info at littlegolftrain.com, and that'll come to Patricia and I, and we can kind of help get started there. But, um, you know, any one of our certified conductors running these programs, um, especially like Anna and Zoe and uh, Michelle, you know, lucky kids, lucky families. Um, I've learned so much watching them. But uh, reach out there, and um, that would be a great way to get started. Perfect. Well, ladies, I want to I want to thank you. I, I hate to say this, but our, our hour is up, and uh, you, you've all done a fantastic job in, in helping to uh, shed some light on on a little different perspective of junior golf traditionally. You know, when we think of junior golf, we think of some of the, the junior golf programs out there um, wrapped around tournaments and things like that. Um, but the little golf train is, is obviously something different. It's, it's sort of planting that first seed, if you will. So you, ladies have, have done a fantastic job. And uh, as I'm sure Nicole would attest to, welcome aboard the little golf train. Um, so Nicole, <laughs> Michelle, uh, Zoe, and, and Anna, thank you very much for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live's Coach's Corner. You did a fantastic job. Thank you, Anna and, and uh, Zoe, particularly for, for calling in overseas. Uh, I know it's, uh, it's uh, late or early, as I said, for you. So uh, you can go and get some rest and, and uh, wind down from your day. And, and thank you, ladies, for joining me this evening. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so thank much. You so much. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. All right. You have a great evening. You're very, very thank welcome. You. All right. Have a good bye one. Bye. You're welcome, Goodbye. ladies. Bye. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right, that was my very uh, special guest this evening, um, Nicole Weller, Michelle Holmes, and, of course, Zoe Allen and Anna Deletta uh, Defon from Italy uh, did a fantastic job. Thank you, ladies, as always. Uh, it's been a pleasure uh, speaking with you in the Coach's Corner here. And I want to just uh, take a few moments to remind everybody before I uh, move on with the show that we are live every Thursday evening uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. Central for those of you under Central Time and at 7 to 9 for those uh, way out on the East Coast and 4 to 6 for those of you out uh, in the West Coast in the Pacific Time Zone. Um, that's when you can get the show. Uh, best way to find us is go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live or just simply type golf talk live up in the search key when you get to blogtalkradio.com and uh, you'll see us there live every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central, as I said. Uh, otherwise, you can just scroll down that page and uh, to our on-demand section, and you'll see all of the previously aired shows, including tonight's, will be there later after uh, it's, uh, we go off air uh, in their entirety. So if you missed a show uh, or you're tuning in uh, partway through tonight's show and you want to uh, hear uh, a little bit what happened on the first hour of the show, uh, you can visit that link uh, in a little bit, and uh, you'll be able to to pick up the, the conversation that you missed. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn.com, uh, those three social media platforms. Uh, you can also listen to under the podcast section. Again, just type in Golf Talk Live, and you can find us there as well. 
at any time when it's convenient for you. Um, but uh, I, I want to move on now to my very special guest this evening. Uh, his name is Brett Freeman, and he's a 30-year golf teacher professional and the creator of Freebird Golf. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, and I'm going to bring him on the show. Um, Brett, after playing uh, golf in college, uh, found himself working uh, in the golf business. Uh, he knew he had always wanted to be a coach or, or teacher. And uh, after working on the course, uh, one thing led to another. And, and uh, here he is 30 years later. Brett uh, has uh, many years of, of uh, teaching and golf mentoring uh, experience under his belt. And he had uh, many uh, inspirations uh, to his, uh, actually had many inspirations to his method of teaching. And Manuel De La Torre, uh, who is a World Golf uh, Teachers uh, Hall of Fame uh, member and also a PGA Golf Professional uh, Hall of Famer, uh, made the biggest impact in his life, uh, who personally mentored Brett for over 30 years. And from then on, his teachings have mirrored uh, Mr. De La Torre's methods, uh, which of course is based on uh, the Ernest Jones swing principles that club movement is more than uh, body movement. And it's these teachings that have set, uh, uh, in his mind, a thousands free, if you will, no more paralysis through analysis. So uh, Brett's concepts are designed to make you a good player rather than focusing on memorizing 50 different positions, uh, which we all have uh, can attest to. So let me bring uh, Brett out and we'll we'll talk a little golf tonight here in Golf Talk Live. Brett, good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. Ted, good evening. Great to be with you. Well, thank you very much, sir, for, for uh, joining me. Um, you bet. I, I wanted to start things off. A, yeah, you're welcome. I wanted to start things off a little bit, Brett, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, I read a little bit about uh, your background, but uh, just for those that maybe aren't familiar with you and, and uh, or maybe not in your area, uh, tell the listeners a little bit about why specifically why you decided to teach golf. I mean, uh, you know, as I touched on, you want to do coaching and, and teaching of some kind, but what specifically brought you to the golf game? Well, I think the, the main reason was um, I got in the golf business just like everybody else, and you don't get to much, play much golf. <laughs> and right. I was more interested in the swing than what kind of shorts you had or whatever. So I was always intrigued with right. the golf swing, play golf all my life, and uh, just felt like that was really the, the bigger direction. I was a head professional at one time, and, you know, I just I, I found myself always wanting to be on the lesson tee rather than making sure we had the right inventory. And, you know, Mr. Heaven Camp was playing, you know, with so-and-so and all that. So um, I just had a passion for teaching um, and was very blessed in my life with the people I've met and uh, been around to, to be able to uh, do what I love to do. So it's been a great life. Yeah, and, and before we get into because obviously we're going to talk tonight uh, about uh, much of the methodology that, that Manuel De La Torre uh, talked about and, and taught for, for many, many years, and obviously that you've uh, allowed to take root in, in your uh, teaching. Um, but I want to talk about something that was so, sort of interesting that I read through uh, a little bit of your bio, and that is, you know, for so many years now, and, and we'll talk a little bit more detail about it here in just a second, but there has been so many methods and so many gadgets and gimmicks that have been introduced in the golf industry for, for I mean, since I was knee-high to a grasshopper, which was 50-odd years ago. Um, and so much has actually done more harm, I think, to the industry than good uh, by creating a lot of frustration and uh, just a lot of confusion. What was it specifically, before we get into his theories, Nat, what specifically did you find with some of the other methods that, that maybe you originally worked with or were introduced to um, that you kind of said to yourself, you know what, uh, this just isn't going to be what I, I need to do. I need to find something else. What was sort of a turning point? Well, I think, 
yeah, the biggest thing to me was just the improvement of players and, and even my own game. Um, you know, trying to do all the different yep. positions or find the place and turn your shoulders a certain way. And, you know, every club's a different length. So that means if really, if we're going off a shoulder plane, you've got 13 different shoulder planes you have to work on, which is virtually impossible. Right. Um, and all the different things I had paralysis through analysis and I played all the other sports growing up and I felt like I was a pretty good athlete at other things and golf never progressed like I'd like to. I could do pretty good. My short mm-hmm. game was really good. Uh, I could chip and putt, all that. But my long game was always suffering, and it was always because with my putting and my chipping, there wasn't so much thought on what was moving it as far as just moving the club. And it really right. something really triggered with me when I was in college. I was a college golfer, um, so I wasn't awful, but I wasn't as good. You're never as good as you want to be. We all know that. But um, right. I'm in right. a kinesiology <laughs> class, which is uh, – study of muscles in motion and the professor says at least a hundred times your big muscles never ever initiate motion they always respond to motion so right. i'm a golfer and i've you know all my right. life i'm taught well you turn your shoulders at 90 degrees your hips are at 45 got more weight on your right and the left you fire your you open your left hip you fire as hard as you can get the right elbows close to the side and then hang on i mean that was kind of the method and we look today and we've got more injuries on the pga tour than we do in the nfl and it's because of all these yeah. things and the way yeah. they're trying to contort the body. Um, just they didn't design to do that. And golf, we should be able to at the yeah. highest level. I mean, I look at – go ahead. No, 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 please go ahead. So, well, I look at Tiger right now and some of the things he said, he's trying to use his arms more, he swings the club freer. Well, his swing speed's greater than it's ever been. Um, so right. obviously the things that he did before was injuring him. And he's doing things now that won't injure him, yet he's swinging the club faster than he swung it before. So, I mean, you know, it's interesting class, that. And so I, right. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, please go ahead. Interesting. Go ahead. What I was no, going to no, say is ahead, just, Ted. yeah, just to add, just, <laughs> just to add to what you were going to say is uh, you're exactly right. You know, when I, when I think back, um, you know, 30 or so years ago, when I look at the golf professionals and I'm talking about, of course, on tour, you know, the Nicholases mm-hmm. and the Palmers and the Trevinos and, and, you know, Johnny Miller and things like that, you know, we had so many different swing styles. Um, yep. You know, Johnny Miller is one that comes to mind, particularly because he had that big reverse C, which was very common in that time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, you know, fast forward, you know, 30, 40 years and, you know, his back, uh, you know, isn't as strong and he's had knee issues and things like that. So, you know, we know golf traditionally uh, puts a lot of stress on the body, but if you're making movements uh, at that speed, especially with the speeds of today's golfer, uh, it's, it's even more so than I think uh, during those times. But, um, but you're, you're exactly right. I think a lot of people misunderstand, and, they've been so, and, and, I, and I hate to sort of go against my fellow professionals out there, but I think one mm-hmm. of the criticisms that I have is a lot of misinformation uh, or information right. that isn't, maybe expla- isn't explained fully uh, it's not necessarily that it's wrong, but because it's not explained fully, the average student doesn't understand and can't pick it up. And as you said, they get out there and they're trying to analyze all of the information the coach has just told them, and they, they fall into that paralysis category. So um didn't mean to interrupt, but I just wanted to get that out there. Uh, go ahead and, and, no, and get a, a further thought on what we're talking about. Yeah, no, that's absolutely the truth. And, you know, even the, the players you mentioned, I mean, uh, you know, 30, 40 years ago, everybody – everybody looked different because we didn't have video. 
And now everybody's trying to look exactly the right. same and put their bodies in the same places. And so, you know, Manuel used to always say a great player could do just about anything and still hit the ball. And that's just something that they have. Right. Um, one of one of my very best friends is a guy named Greg, Greg Ladioff. He was played at uh, Ohio State, and then he was on tour for about 10 to 12 years. And he said, you know, everybody on tour is trying to get back to where they were when they were 15 because they didn't think about it. Right. They just went out right. and played golf. And he said, nobody plays as good on tour as they did then, really. He said, we're just trying to, you know, we manage no. our game better, but the ball striking is not any better. Well, there's something to that in the fact that when you're a kid, you just go out and play and there's no fear. You're not thinking about positions. You're not thinking about all these other things. Right. Um, and so it frees everybody up. Well, everybody looks different when they do that. You know, you and I both walk. Yeah. One foot goes in front of the other. The motor skill is the same, but we don't look the same doing it. And so right, trying to think right, of, exactly. you know, one of the things that aggravates me is, you know, somebody in our profession puts a screen up and here's, you know, here's Davis Love, and then they put you up and say, okay, now here's you. Well, that's, a, that's apples to oranges. We're not the same. And that, that doesn't right. mean that you can't swing right. the club or you can't play good or you can't hit great shots. But if you've ever met Davis Love, I mean, his arms are extremely long, so his hands are high. Well, I'm not built that way, so my hands aren't going to go that high. I mean, all these different things that we try to get people to do that really is counterproductive uh, for them playing good golf. And the game should be enjoyed and not struggled with as much as it is. Yeah. It's a disaster. Yeah, uh, and I agree wholeheartedly, Brett. I think one of the things, and just to, to add a little bit further on that, is you're mm-hmm. exactly right. I think a lot of the comparison, even though I think uh, the intention was, was right, I just think it was misguided. One of the things that I used to see as well is that sort of comparison with the pros and say, okay, well, here's, here's Nick Faldo. He's six foot, you know, four or five, whatever. And, mm-hmm. and here you are, you're six foot, four or five, kind of similar build, you know, try to emulate Nick Faldo's swing. Well, right. your swing might end up actually being more like, like Jim Furyk as opposed to Nick Faldo or maybe a Freddie Couples or, you know, depending on your right. body style and body type. And I, and I think the mistake that the industry has, has made for many, many years is to sort of pigeonhole everybody into the same category. And what's happened mm-hmm. is, uh, again, you know, I, I'm six foot four. I'm, I'm, you know, about 200 and, well, I won't give it out completely, but 200 plus pounds. <laughs> um, and uh, and still growing, but you know I can certainly emulate uh, many of the moves that that a Nick Falda would do as an example, or even a Johnny Miller. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the best swing for me. I have to find how my body works and reacts to certain uh, circumstances. And and again, I think this has been a problem with the industry for a long time. So fast forward a little bit, Brett, and let's talk about because you've had the opportunity to to learn from some of the best out there. And somebody mm-hmm. that caught your eye was Manuel De La Torre. So let's talk about him. Um, first off, talk about the man that you knew, uh, and then a little bit about what his theory was on what should be done to be a better golfer. Well, in my opinion, I mean, there's nobody, nobody knew the golf swing like Manuel. Um, and, you know, one of the great things about a genius is they can take something that seems very complicated and break it down and make it seem very simple. And that's exactly what right. he did. Um, he could take, he, you know, you could throw him. I know uh, shortly before he passed away a couple of years ago, uh, some of us were talking to him and um, somebody come out with a D plane and, and he did it with straws. He was sitting there. I mean, his mind was incredible. And he's like, there's no such thing as a D plane. And he just destroyed it. I mean, went through the whole thing. It was amazing. But he could take anybody from, yep. 
a t- you know, master champion, Tommy Aaron. I've seen him work with him to a kid that's never touched a golf club before and virtually get that kid to swing the golf club and look like he'd been playing golf for forever. It was amazing. Um, so mm. in, as good of instructor as he was, he was even that much greater of a man. You know, some of the guys that we were with, we were with him a lot. Uh, we would all say the same thing. You know, at least we recognized when you were around him, you were around greatness. He just, and he was the right. most humble, unassuming man. Um, but he was, you, you knew, I mean, just, there was an air about him and, um, you know, can't say enough great things, but his teaching, um, changed my life because number one, you know, the proof of the pudding's in the eating. You want to see the result and the, the way right. people improved and the way they play the game and, the artistry to the game, which I feel like we've lost a lot of, um, was there. And you can see somebody that's, you know, only played maybe a couple of years and, you know, they're a four or five handicap. Now that doesn't happen all the time, but it certainly happens. And I don't think it ever happened. I couldn't get anybody there trying to put them in positions, but the golf swing and his method was basically this. The golf swing is a direction of motion, not a position. It's a backwards and forward motion. So he would go through that and what's backwards and forwards for you. Well, it's a swing plane. We know that, but his swing plane was based on pure geometry. And if you saw it, and it was not the golf machine at P1 or two or three, it just, it was a, it, again, it was a direction of motion. So he would show you that. And he would never talk about how your body would respond to that. He would just talk right. about you do it. Right. In other words, there was a position to it. You respond to it, but he would never talk about where your shoulders went, your knees went, where your elbows, none of that. And so immediately you could see somebody that he taught and say, that looks like a, that looks like a Louis Ustenhauser. That looks like Freddie. I mean, because they had that motion. Right. Um, he would right. work real hard on but that was natural to their, the club. Right. Yeah. Everybody's but that was because that was natural. Right. To their particular body type or body style yes. or body motion. That was natural right. for that individual. And, and that's important. And, and that brings me to, to another point. Um, you know, I, I sort of referenced a few moments ago about sort of pigeonholing everybody into one sort of swing theory mm-hmm. and, and method and everybody's got to get into to slot A and position B and, and so on and so forth. Right. And, and I think one of the, 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 the bad things that, that that has done over time to the golf industry in general is it's created such a level of frustration. And I think, you know, without even getting into all his methodology, the proof mm-hmm. in the pudding is the fact that handicaps – have barely budged an inch in the last exactly. 25 years or long. And we've got better and equipment, better golf courses, something. everything. Yeah. Right. The golf ball and, curve like and it used it's to. not through the gallant effort. Right. Right. And it's not through efforts of, of some, I mean, there are a ton of great uh, golf professionals and teaching professionals out there, but I think what's happened is the industry has been led and, and sort of deterred, if you will, and I'm not trying to throw all blame there, but through uh, everybody from the equipment manufacturers to the, the golf ball manufacturers have sort of guided everybody uh, in, a, in a direction in order to hit the ball further. You got to do this and you got to do that. Right. And everybody sort of followed suit. And the, the truth of the matter is if you talk to most students, Brett, most of the time what they'll say is I just want to be able to play better. I want to get out there and have fun. And yeah, I want to hit a little right. bit further. Um, but they're not looking to, to be the next great uh, golf pro out on tour. They just want to be able to go out and have fun. And the problem is this is why so many of them are getting out of the game is because they're tired and they're frustrated 
in, in buying into a lot of this information. So let's talk a little bit more uh, about Manuel and, and about there are mm-hmm. uh, a couple of important uh, ideas, if you will, that are part of uh, Manuel's golf teaching system. And I'm going to read them out here, and then I want to get your, your thoughts and response to them. Okay. Uh, everything we teach... Uh, yeah, everything we teach should be based on fundamental principles of physics and geometry that can be proven. Correct. And anything we ask student to do cannot be uh, overdone. Uh, overdone. Can you explain yeah. that and talk a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Anytime, you know, a lot of times if you have somebody that, uh, and this has always been an irritant of mine, mainly because uh, I got it from Manuel, you'll hear an instructor say, go a little more here, go a little more inside. Well, what's a little more inside? It's going to be different tomorrow than it was today. And so there has to be an absolute, right. this is where I want you to move the club. And if you do this, because the great thing about golf is the golf ball is no respecter of persons. It could care less if you've been playing 20 yep. minutes or 20 years. It only responds to what you do with that golf club. It doesn't care what your knees do, your shoulders do, nothing. It just cares about what you do with the club. So over and over and over, we work on two things, the geometrical principle and the physics law. And the physics law says if you're going to move an object, say a golf ball, with another object, say a golf club, the, that object, the golf club, has to be going the same direction as your destination, which is the target. And so we right. pretty much start everybody right there. You're not, your responsibility is not to get this ball in the air. Your responsibility is to move this club in the direction of your target. Well, the direction of the target is always on the ground. It's never in the air. It's always on the ground. Yep. And the loft of the club right. sends the ball in the air. As soon as you do that, and as soon as they understand that, I don't want to go into a, a physics law with them, but that's basically what it is, and it's a sound principle. If right. they move the club this way, the ball goes immediately. I, don't, I, I had one today, a lady today, that well, I've never gotten the ball in the air. I've had 10 lessons, and she's been everywhere. So I grabbed the club, moved through right. this, just like you're potting. Ten minutes later, she said, I didn't know we could have this much fun at it. Yeah, it's fun. Because the ball, all she wanted yeah. was the ball to go in the air. Well, I don't, I'm not going to go through and explain right. physics, but that's what that is. Now, the other statement that you can never give a student something that could be overdone, I'm not going to work on opposites. If they do one thing, I want you to try to do the opposite of that. So I always use this example as well. You know, one of my really good friends, I won't mention his name, he teaches in Kansas City. We, we're in each other's weddings. He'll love him. He's a great guy. But he says, if I have somebody coming <laughs> over the top, I just make them swing to right field. I said, well, what do you do when they start hitting the right field? Tell them to swing back to left field? I mean, see, you've overdone something. And so as long as we teach them, look, I want you to move this club in this direction, in the direction of the target, whatever you're telling them, if they keep doing that, they get better. They don't get into a rut of chasing this, you know, coming over the top. Now I'm swinging inside out. Now none of that, that goes away because now we've got a, a specific thing that we're after. And if they do that, that ball has to go to the target. So that's that's what he basically, in a nutshell, what he meant by don't give them anything that they can overdo. Yeah, and and We're another example that I know that right, and another example that that he would use, and I think this is a very common one that we see, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, in the golf industry, or, or certainly have in the past. Um, and that is, you know, obviously we have a lot of slicers out there. I mean, that's just uh, part of the part of the game. Um, but mm-hmm. for a long time what a lot of instructors would do would, would try to teach them how to hook the ball. Um, right. And, you know, a lot of times what would happen is just like what you talked about a moment ago is, you know, now the person's got, uh, he's not slicing the ball anymore, but now he's hooking it, um, you know, right. 
a, a little bit too much, right? And, and overcompensation. And, and a lot of times then they get into a new problem. So now you've got to un, unpack and unwind that problem. So, uh, you know, I, I guess really what you're trying to say is what Manuel um, was trying to do was teach the right way from the beginning um, yes. and not continually have overcorrection every time somebody – because, again, it changes day to day. So if, if they're slicing right. today and you've got them hooking – uh, now they're hooking tomorrow. So what do we do to unwind that? And, and I think that's right. generally what he was trying to say, correct? Yes. And so, you know, now then they lose confidence in you as an instructor because, well, yeah, I'm not slicing it anymore, but look at this. And I tell you not to do what you right. were doing. Not doing, Now don't do that. Do this. So one of the first things to do with a slicer, though, is uh, come in and explain to them, okay, this is why you slice. This is what this is why the ball goes yep. to the right, and and before I ever see him hit a shot, and this is what he would do, and then we would go back and explain to him, okay, we don't want to work on what's wrong, we want to work on what's right, so we're not trying not to do anything, right. we're trying to do something, but what happens a lot of times with the slicers, you know, they start and they, the ball maybe go pretty straight and they go to the right, and then they start trying to, you know, aim right, swing back left, and then it gets worse, and so they don't understand why the ball is going where it's going. They think they're doing things. Right. So they read the magazines. They watched the golf channel. They think they're doing things to make the ball go straight. And you're like, no. For instance, take the club straight back. Well, if you take the club straight back, guess what? You're probably going to slice it because it's not a, it's not a geometrical yep. principle. It's not a circle. So explaining that right there a lot of times um, kind of puts them in a different mindset. Okay, that's what you used to do. Here's what we're going to do. And be very big. The biggest part, you know, with Manuel's teaching was, was so much mental. You know, why would you think about what not to do? And I use this all the time. I've been right. teaching this my 32nd season. I have never had anybody hit a good shot and turn around and look at me and say, what did I just do? But they all ask right. me what they did when they hit it bad. And so Manuel's dad, Angel, <laughs> said it. Manuel said it. I say it. Well, why do you want to know that? You want to do it again? I don't want the bad thought. I want the positive thought. And so if you teach yeah, them something that they can overdo, then they get negative corrective. Yep. You're, you're exactly right. And, and I think too, that, you know, and, and just going back to what I was saying a little bit earlier about some of the different golfing styles that we used to see uh, in, in decades past, you know, when you look at somebody like a, a Lee Trevino and he's probably the most obvious, I think for, for most uh, golfers to relate to, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he had a very unorthodox swing. Freddie Couples was another one. I mean, as, as, as beautiful right. looking as Freddie's swing could be to some people, it was very unorthodox by today's standards. Um, mm-hmm. When you compare him to, say, let's say, an Ernie Els or, uh, or you know, uh, a Rory McIlroy or somebody like that. Um, but they all had certain things in common. And it didn't matter how they arrived there um, because, again, they were all different. And going back to the point I made a moment ago is that I think that what the industry has tried to do was um, I won't say marginalize, but has tried to sort of pigeonhole people into one box, sort of a one size fits all golf swing. And you just can't do that. Um, So uh, sort of an interesting statement. And I want to read this to you. And then I want you to to sort of uh, Mm -hmm. explain a little bit about it. Um, You know, he talks about a restricting sort of the backswing size by reducing the body's response. Explain a little bit about mm-hmm. that. Well, whenever the body doesn't respond correctly, you can only take it so far. In other words, if I don't let my lower body move at all, my club will only go maybe 
if I'm lucky, three quarters of the way back. Um, and so there's a lot of things like right now, a lot of instructors have people keep the right knee flexed. Well, you keep yeah. the right knee in that same flex as it starts at, at address and your golf swing gets short. It just has to because you've restricted the body from its natural motion. You know, we none of us stand straight legged. So you have a little bit of a, a uh, little bit of bend in your knees. Well, if I turn to walk, that that leg straightens. I mean, it doesn't lock, but it goes straightens. So when you sure. allow the body to do what it naturally does, it will go where it needs to go. When you restrict the body motion, yep. then you're going to restrict the size of the golf swing. So we would try to get people not to do that, not to restrict the body, let the body go where it normally goes. Um, the motion of the golf club makes you go perfect every time. For you. Right. So exactly. a lot of times well people said. say, well, you know, your shoulders don't turn or his shoulders don't turn as much. That's the way he's made. I, I can't change. That's mm-hmm. the way God put him together. I can't make him do something that his body's not capable of doing. But, you know, I gave a lesson yesterday. A guy's 87 years old. He's not quite parallel, but he's pretty close, and he's very limber for that age. And he still hits his driver about 180 sure. yards. Well, that's pretty good for wow. 87. <laughs> But that's just because he allows the body to respond to the motion of the club. Right. I I would take that any day if I was 87, too. So that's a a great analogy. I'm just hoping I can be there with him when I'm that age. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Brett, let me ask you this. Yeah, let me ask you a quick question here just before we continue on. Um, Because this is something that I think has changed a little bit. You know, when you you look at some of the older video and footage of of many of the the great golfers, uh, Nicholas obviously comes to mind. Um, but a lot of them, and again, I, I know it changes for everybody, but do you think that, and let me just explain a little bit and then I'll get you to respond. One of the things that I've noticed in, in some of these new, uh, golf swings, if you will, uh, as an example, when Nicholas, especially with his driver, when he would turn back uh, in his backswing, his left foot would come a little, little ways off the ground. And one mm-hmm. of the things that I've noticed with a lot of modern golf instruction is they're trying to keep that left foot planted um, quite firmly on the ground and really not allow uh, it to, to come up a little bit to, to work with that natural body motion. Do you think right. by sort of folk uh, forcing a lot of golfers to do that? And again, it might work for somebody, but again, sort of pigeonholing everybody into that category. Um, not only has it caused a lot of injuries, I'm sure, but that is also, I think, helped to impede a little bit. Uh, do you agree with that or, or what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that's one of the most dangerous things we have is to tell people um, what they're doing with their feet. Your your footwork, well, I think it's important, is a symptom of either you're doing it correctly or incorrectly. And whether the right. heel comes up or doesn't come up is absolutely has nothing to do with your swing. You know, everybody says, right. if I swing the club in a circle, you know, my body rotates around my axis, which it should, which is my spine. I'm not trying to do that. That's just the way it works. You do it in everything else in life. I sure. throw a ball. If I rake leaves, it, all, it happens all the same. But by trying to keep that there, now I'm focused on something I shouldn't. But some people, it comes up. I know Manuel, everybody would ask him about that. And he said, well, until I hit 45 years old, it never came off the ground, but I never thought about it. And now it comes off the ground, you know, when he got older. Right. So uh, everybody's well, different, but when – if you're trying to do that and your body doesn't work that way, I think that puts a, that's going to, that's going to shorten the swing. Besides that, it's going to put a lot of pressure on your back. It's going to do a lot of things it shouldn't do. 
Yeah, you're you're right. And I think what happened, you know, some years ago when when he started coming out with programs like the X Factor, you know, there was a lot of that mm-hmm. discussion uh, around the tour and 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 in the teaching industry. You know, there was a lot of talk about keeping that left foot planted in order to to help create more torque uh, and, of course, ultimately more power. And and again, I think, you know, for some, you know, younger and more limber uh, golfers, that might be something that, again, depending on on the individual, might be something that they can get away with. But if 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 your foot naturally needs to come off um, as a result uh, or response to the swing, then you need to let that happen. And I think forcing something to not happen is, is sort of setting you, yourself up for failure. Would, would you agree with that? Oh, I agree. I agree hundred percent, hundred percent. That's why, you know, trying to keep it there. If it doesn't go there again, you're thinking about something that doesn't even need to be thought about. And it's going to go where it's supposed yeah. to naturally. Right. So, right. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, um, I agree hundred percent. You know, one of the other things too, which was kind of interesting, uh, you know, uh, reading and, and sort of preparing for tonight's show is, you know, he talks about the short game uh, and, and mm-hmm. sort of getting, again, it goes back to what you said about that mental image of, uh, you know, if the shot is too high, uh, as an example, uh, that there's a sort of a cause and effect. Um, talk a little bit about how, you know, what his idea for the short game, what he envisioned and what people should be, uh, really thinking about, you know, there's a lot of talk about what they should be focusing on and, and the correct technique and things like that. And I know it goes to the overall picture of, of individuality, mm-hmm. but at the same time, were there certain uh, things that, that Manuel spoke about the short game? And, and if so, what were they? Well, the biggest thing was it's the same as really the short game is just a shorter swing of, you know, I mean, that's all it is. So we're not changing anything from the, short game to say the driver except for the size of the swing um but mentally right we went through continually that the golf club is always going to the target so the lifting of the club or lifting of the ball i should say is where everybody has trouble that's why they scoop it that's why they hit behind it that's why they do all this other stuff um so he would set somebody you know now you've got a lot of people put all their weight on their left side when they're going to chip and they play the ball back and and so that wasn't allowed. You know, you just set up like you're going to hit the ball as far as you can. And if you want your feet closer together and you want to grip down on the club, you can. But you're going to move the club in the same right. arc with a little bitty swing. And so once they see how the ball comes off and responds to the club going forward, but mentally, mentally, he would say over and over and over, mentally, every swing, every short, especially the short game, is going on the ground, not in the air. The ball sends the club in the right. air, or the club sends the ball in the air, not you. And that takes care of the scoop or the, right. you know, again, the chili dip and all that other stuff. Putting the weight, though, to the left side and playing the ball back, now you've got a completely different action than what you had before. And if I've got a wedge shot and I've got the wedge and I want to, you know, I'm side of the green sandwich, whatever, and so it's going to be a high, soft shot, well, I pick the club that does that. Well, when I play it back in my stance, I take loft off the club. So that's the last thing I want to do, yep. and I think I see that a lot as well. Um, but the other thing that really he was very, very um, different in was he would hand, say, a player a golf ball and would be standing by the green, and he would say, I want you to get that ball you know, as close to that target as you can, and they'd roll it up there. And he would say, okay, did you pick a place to land the ball, or did you think about where the ball was going to stop? And they'd always say, well, where it's going to stop. Hmm. So in your short game, why do you think about where you're going to land it? 
and then he would take it to other sports. If you're playing basketball and you're going to do a bounce pass, would you think about where you're going to bounce the ball on the floor, or would you think about where it's going to end up? Well, where it's going to end up. Then right. why are you always trying to land the ball at a place? Why don't you see the ball stop yep. at the target? So one of the greatest, um, probably one of the greatest shots I've ever seen in my life was 19, I think, 92 or 3 at Moon Valley Country Club. He was putting on, uh, we were there at a teaching seminar, a lot of tour players there. Ted Purdy was there, I think, uh, Trip Eisenhower, some of those guys. Trip Eisenhower, I don't think, was a big fan, but he was friends with all those guys, so they were there. And so Manuel was off the side right. of his putting green, and he was saying, what would you hit? And the, the pin was maybe, oh, I don't know, maybe maybe three paces off the side of the green. They're off from the edge. Well, I'd use a wedge this way. He goes, why do you guys always think so high? So, they, you know, the grass was real thick around the green. He said, well, you got to get over the grass. He said, well, what would you use? He said, I'd use a two-iron. And he hit this two-iron that screamed <laughs> into this grass and then just rolled out just as easy, kind of about two inches from it. He kind of swelled his chest back up and said, that's how I'd hit the shot. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> so he had a fantastic imagination, a great short game. But it was all it was all done the same from the driver through the sandwich. That's just smaller. And yeah. so he would say, you can practice your short game for 45 minutes and go to the golf course, and you've never – made a full swing, and on the first tee, you make the same swing you did with that wedge, just bigger, and it's going to go just like it's supposed to. So his short right. game stuff was miraculous as far as how good he was and how good the players, you know, that he had could get. But um, it wasn't any any different than the, than the full swing. But the visualization of the ball going low has always been a big, big, big part because then the club lifts the ball. And that's where everybody messes up in their short game. Is trying to lift it. Right. You know, you're, uh, I was laughing because your, your story kind of reminded me a little bit of um, a, a, another well-known golfer, and that was Chichi Rodriguez. Um, you know, mm-hmm. when you watched uh, earlier uh, days of Chichi, um, you know, he had all kinds of uh, interesting shots in the bag, but one that he was very, very famous, and I remember watching uh, him play for many, many years, and uh, he was definitely a, a low-ball hitter. And I was chuckling because I, I don't recall the, the tournament, but it was quite some time ago. But he, he hit sort of a low screaming hook into this green. And, you know, the announcers were just sort of kind of going crazy, like this thing's gone. It's, and it just checked up, you know, within mm-hmm. you know, a couple of feet of the hole. But he, he must have bent that thing probably about 30 yards. And I don't think <laughs> it ever got above five, six feet, feet off the air uh, or right. off the ground. And, but but he again had control and he knew what he was doing and he and he executed the shot the way he knew he was able to do it and and I think the point really that we're that you're you're trying to make and, and I agree with you is I think that you know golf is an individual sport in so many ways it's not just something that we can play by ourselves but it's individual to you and I and we have to right. find based on certain principal fundamentals what works for, for me and what works for you and, and all the millions of golfers around the world. And I think once people understand that, and, and that doesn't mean that they can't try uh, some other things out there by all means, but I think they have to stop and think a little bit because, again, one of the things that adds Brett to the frustration with so many golfers is, and again, I'm not going to name names, but you know, so-and-so comes out with uh, this plan or so-and-so comes out with that plan 
So, you know, they're out there and they're buying the DVDs and the videos and so forth, and they're trying all this stuff, and they're not seeing really a lot of improvement. They might see some in the beginning, um, but it's sort of reinventing the wheel each time. And then when that doesn't pan out after, you know, two months of trying or a month of trying, now they're buying the next latest and greatest thing or the next driver that's coming out guaranteeing them an extra 20, 30 yards, which we know as professionals is a lot of malarkey because – Right. If they don't know how to put the club face on the ball with any sort of consistency, they're not going to get 20 or 30 yards. They're going to be lucky if they get 10 extra yards. So, right. I mean, you know, we we have to get real, I think, in this industry. And I'm not afraid to, to call them out. Um, I, I don't believe in, in you know, bad-mouthing anyone specific. But I think that we have to, right. as, as professionals in the industry, I think we have to be honest with ourselves and say, look, we're here to help the average students out there. We're here to help them enjoy and have fun. Um, but if we're not going to be forthcoming with, with accurate information and we're just sort of pushing the latest and greatest thing, then we're doing the service and the, and the industry an injustice. And I think that's really what Manuel was trying to do with his system. He was saying, look, we're all different. There's certain fundamental truths that have to be followed. Um, but if your swing looks a little this way or looks a little that way, as long as you meet the physics and the geometry that's required, you're going to be okay. And I think that's generally what he was trying to say. Uh, am I right it, or wrong? It, it, no, that, you're absolutely right. And, and in that, you know, you may not – the geometry, as soon as you start using words like geometry and physics, people go, ah, but it's so simple. Yeah. You know, I remember him talking right. about sitting there with his dad and Ernest Jones. He said, I'm seven years old in our living room, and they're dissecting the golf swing. And he said, the beautiful thing about it was I understood everything they're talking about. And right. now, you know, if you don't know the, what the axis of the golf ball is and the, you know, the D plane and the, you know, the angle to the, it's, you don't even know what you, you know, then you don't know anything and you're trying to make it as simple as you can. And so again, how your body does it will be unique to you. There's certain things the club has to do or the ball can't go in the direction of the target. So working on that, sometimes, you know, using certain words, people get a little lost like, Oh man, you know, this is going to be really hard. And it's not. It's so it's so simple. The game's incredibly hard, but to send a ball in the direction sure. of a target is not. Um, but it's right. one of the e- easiest or most simplest things that we have in sport. The game is hard because it's so mental, and the game is hard because you you know if you line up wrong and you hit a perfect shot, well you miss the green. Um, you use the wrong club, it goes too far. You use the wrong club, it buries in a bunker short. There's a million different things. If the ball can bounce funny, I've hit the flag stick before and wound up in the water. Like, I can't say I hit the wrong shot. I mean, everything right. is where it's supposed to, but my score wasn't very good. Well, that's the game. So the game, a lot of times, really wrecks us because we think about the score so much instead of what am I doing with it. Right. And, I, I, you know, his big deal was our fingerprints are all different, so we're all going to look different swinging a golf club. But, again, right. every student he right, had, exactly. there was a similarity to everybody that he had that, that stayed with his concepts. They all have a free, wonderful-looking motor. I mean, they, all look the, they don't look the same in how their body does it, but how they move is very graceful. And I think there's a lot right. to be said for that. If you're an instructor and everybody's, you know, nobody looks the same. It's not cookie-cutter. But they all have this same action. They look like it's, there's no effort to this. Like there's just something that's right. easy. Well, that that in itself says a lot for the concept and how it works. And everybody has a different skill level. Um, sure. So the fact that they're not a two handicap, but yet they're sending it down the middle, you know, and having a good time playing golf. 
and you said something earlier that that Manuel would talk about a lot. He said, you know, 40 years ago, he said, I didn't have anybody that had a distance problem. But they only had two things that they cared about. Do I look good when I swing? Mm-hmm. And I don't want to look for my <laughs> golf ball. And he said, now they don't care what they look like when they swing or if they lose the ball. They just want it to go far. And so yeah. in his book, he said if he could remove the word power from everybody's vocabulary, they would not believe how good they could play. And there's a lot yeah. of truth to that. I, I, mean, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that, said, Fred. You know, and this is sort of – sort of what I was alluding to earlier about the, mm-hmm. the manufacturers, um, you know, mm-hmm. they, uh, you know, a player like, uh, like a John Daly comes, comes by who hits it a mile. And that is something that worked for him and everybody's, mm-hmm. you know, out buying the, the, you know, the next greatest big Bertha, you know, driver by Callaway um, because that's what he was playing on that particular, uh, you know, Sunday afternoon. So that was the equipment he was using right. at the time. Then he switched to someone else. And, and the, the truth of the matter is, um, you know, if you're trying to emulate a John Daly swing as an example, or you're thinking that by buying a certain piece of equipment uh, in order to gain more yards, but you're not really understanding how your body needs to work. I mean, I've seen people, Brett, that have taken, I'm sure you've had this example as well. I know people that can take old persimmon woods and belt the thing 250 yards straight down the middle. And I've seen other people that that can have the, the best driver on market today, the best shaft in there that can't hit it you know uh you know 150 yards straight so right the equipment has nothing to do with it to the extent that people are making it um and, and i didn't mean to cut your thought off there but uh, you know it was something i wanted to mention as well in, in lieu of what you were talking about but um i, I agree wholeheartedly with you I, I think that there's a lot of room um and needs to be a lot of room for discussion um as an industry in, in whole and i think that what you're talking about here tonight on the show about Manuel's, um, you know, thoughts about the game and, and how he perceived it, I think are, are spot on. And I think there's a lot of people out there that understand that. Um, but I think there's also a lot of people that have gotten caught up in the, in the trap of things. And, and that brings me sort of uh, to another quick thought that I want to ask you about. Mm-hmm. Um, based on your, your work with Manuel, uh, you've known him for years and that, um, mm-hmm. and, and I believe there's a there's a place there's a place for everything, but uh, I get a little concerned sometimes with with the run on technology that's out there today. That again, this is something else that is confusing a lot of. I mean, it might be a help, and I'm sure you might use some technology perhaps uh, to the golf instructor. But I think there was a, a line that got crossed where too many students were were being bombarded with stats and figures and all this kind of stuff to add to the confusion. What do you think Manuel's right. uh, thoughts would be when, as far as technology is concerned? That, that's... Well, I already know what they are. I mean, he used to say, and, and, and I'm sure this made a lot of people upset, but he used to say videos for a teacher who can't teach. Right. Because if you have to slow it down to understand what's happening, um, then you don't know what's happening with the golf swing. And he was very right. big, you know, on teaching us, like, where, where do you stand? You know, we never, very, very seldom will I ever stand. So I got to, I'm facing you and I will never stand directly, but maybe once in a while directly behind you, he would stand at a 45 degree angle. So he said, you can see both the front and the back, which is very true. Um, at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, if you watched him teach his, he never watched the body, his, his eyes and his head would move with the golf club. 
Um, and he would say it's just like a train. If you're too close, if you can't see it, back up. So there may be times where yep. I'm working with a student and I may be 20 feet away and I can see the motion better than if I was close. Um, I use a little bit of some different things for different players. Um, uh, and he, as he got, you know, older, I think he said, well, there's some benefit to some things, but you know, you got a guy that's shooting 95 and he knows his track man numbers. I mean, so what? I mean, we've right. taken the artistry kind of out of the teaching. Um, I go to the desert some and teach in the winter and, and some of the guys there, you know, a lot of the people that I, that, that I work with, they'll say, well, I went to the teaching center for a lesson and, you know, they put me on a track man and he said, well, your numbers are this. He said, but they don't, they don't know how to get the numbers. To change. So, you know, they'll work yeah. on this concept and go back and get on the track man and say, my number's changed, but they're not trying to change the yeah. number. And so some of the things you see, I right. mean, I watch everything that's out there. Manual was very big on, Look at every concept that's out there. Look at everything that's out there. If there's a better way to do it, do it. I mean, he was he was married to what he did, but he was always looking. Um, you know, he went yeah. to almost every uh, coaching, teaching summit that the PGA had and taking notes. And he said, I'd come mm-hmm. back and go on the lesson team myself, by myself, and try different things on myself to see if there was any, any validity to it. And so right. far, I mean, before he passed away, he hadn't found anything. So – my point in that, though, is all the technology in the world is not going to help that guy that's shooting 95 and probably no. going to make, take him from 95 to 105 because now he's got all yeah, the stuff and, in and his that, mind. Right, and that goes Go to what I said earlier about the handicaps not changing, uh, you right. know, despite all this technology and advancement. Uh, we're still in the same boat with, with a lot of the, the players out there, and this yeah. has added – to such a, a a level of frustration for a lot of golfers that people that I know that have played for 20, 30 years, they're not quitting because they're older and their body's aching. They're not playing anymore because they're frustrated. They're not, they're right. not improving. Um, it's, it's, or it's getting worse and not because of age related issues or, or body restrictions, but because they're tired of, of, you know, trying all these different things that are not really uh, getting to the root causes of things. Um, right. Brett, I, I want to go. Yeah, I want to go and talk uh, just for a few moments before we. Uh, it's hard to believe, but this hour is almost over, um, mm-hmm. and and we're kind of just getting warmed up. But um, right. you've obviously got a, a new web, website, freebirdgolf.com, uh, and you're going to be yes. obviously uh, talking about a lot of things that that Manuel uh, Delatore and and you and he worked on and that on this site. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about the site and what what's uh, what's going to be available. Well. We started the site, Chris Doster and I started that. Um, the main reason we started it was just to help golfers. You know, our whole deal, is, our, you know, our mission is to make golf more enjoyable so that people have fun at it again. Um, and it should be enjoyed, and it should be a good time. So um, we have two different things we offer. You can sign up. It's free. There's 30 videos on there, um, Just and it's pretty self-explanatory from there. Uh, then we'll have a membership that will be $10 a month. Um, we'll send out either a podcast or a uh, different video uh, over different subjects uh, a couple times a month. And then we'll take certain individuals, do like a lottery, and we'll give them a lesson online. Um, so I guess I'll have to use video. Okay, wow. <laughs> video for that. But no, I'm, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just joking because of what I said earlier. But um, it, it, it's just it's just <laughs> set up really to, uh, you know, um, it's too bad that our industry – you know, the very first time they ever gave uh, the 
Teacher of the Year the PGA did, they gave it to Manuel in 1986. Wow. Um, he was the very first one. Wow. Um, he was highly re- respected, but again, because of his personality, uh, which was fantastic, you know, he wasn't a self promoter. Um, you know, he said about one instructor right. said, Hey, I had several, te- several guys go to number one in the world and they all left me. And Manuel's response was always, I never saw him hit a shot. So just because we're right. giving the information, I mean, it's the player that did it. Um, but he was sure. very unassuming that way, or you'd hear a lot more. And so, really, you know, we're wanting yeah. to help people and, and have enjoy the game. Um, I believe that this is the greatest concept in golf. If it wasn't, I'd teach something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but sure. for 32 years, it's proven out to be very, very strong, and people improve really, really rapidly and then enjoy the game. And the greatest thing they have about this concept is, you know, if they, they put it down for the winter and they come back, they always say, you know, I come back so much faster. I mean, it doesn't take – weeks and weeks of practice it's just a couple of times and oh there it is again because your swing once you right, develop that right. swing it never goes away and so we started the you know the freebirdgolf.com deal just um in in lieu of that really to get the the word out more um about this concept and how it can help golfers yeah yeah and i think that's important i mean obviously there's a lot of uh information that that's floating around the the web and and, uh, you know, some of it certainly is good, but a lot of it isn't. And I think it's important, right. uh, again, uh, those of us in the golf industry, that we make good use of that. Re- it's a very valuable resource, there's no doubt. And, and I understand, you know, jokingly what, you know, you were talking about a few moments ago about, um, you know, video and things like that. You know, I've certainly used mm-hmm. video. I'm, I'm not going to lie and say I don't. But I don't buy, right. I, it's not that I don't buy into it, but I don't, I don't rely on technology when I'm working with somebody, you know, I work primarily a lot with corporate clients and that, but, and, and, mm-hmm. you know, I, they'll come and ask me and say, you know, about TrackMan or, or something else. And I'll, you know, basically give them the same answer that you did is, um, you know, as far as the numbers, but the, the thing is that, you know, I want them to have a good experience when they come to take a lesson. I want them to go away, not thinking about positions so much, but about, um, playing the game itself and enjoying and having fun. That's what I want them to take away with it. And I want them to certainly work on some things, but I don't want it to be so regimented that, um, you know, again, they, they've got to fold their arm this way or they've got to do that because the body needs to move naturally, I, I believe as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's how we were designed. And, and I think if you try to change that, then you're only kind of going against what human nature has, has given and designed to, the way your body works. And everybody is different right. because we are uniquely different. Um, Brett, as we just sort of wrap up here, we literally only have a few mm-hmm. minutes left, but I want to give you an opportunity for those that are listening uh, that maybe want to reach out to you. What's the best way to do that? If they're maybe in, going to be in your area, uh, you know, through the summer as we're getting ready to get into uh, full swing of golf season here in, in a, a little bit of time for, for some anyways in the Northeast and other parts of the country. Um, where can they reach you and, and what's the best way to get in touch and, uh, and, and we'll go from there. Uh, the best way to get a hold of me is going to be through Forest Ridge Golf Club in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, um, or you can email uh, freebirdgolf.com. Oh, okay. You can just send a message to that, and there's a, there's, a, there's a place on there that says contact. You can go there. Hit that. You can send an email right there, and I'll get that, and then we can we can hook up. So if they're going to be in the area and they want to take a lesson, well, uh, that'd be great. They can contact me right Perfect. there. Perfect. 
And obviously, if they want to learn more about uh, freebirdgolf.com, they can go there and uh, learn a right. little bit more about uh, the, the uh, digital club that, uh, that you and, and Chris, of course, Chris was on last week's show and talked a little bit about right. it, but he wanted to save a little bit for you this, wanted to save a little yeah. bit for you this week when you came on. So, <laughs> um, but, uh, well, well, Brett, I want to thank you very much for, for coming on tonight at Golf Talk Live. It's been a very interesting conversation. I, I've enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm all about with this, with the show is, is my purpose for doing this is, is to not only help, uh, you know, the folks out there become better players, um, but also uh, my fellow golf professionals. You know, I think it's it's great to exchange ideas and to, to hear some, some other points of view. And uh, that's what I try to do here on Golf Talk Live. And, and I want to thank you for not only sharing your thoughts and ideas, but uh, letting us get a, a little bit better look into the life of um, a, a true professional, uh, Manuel De La Torre. So thank you for, for sharing that tonight on Golf Talk Live. You bet, Ted. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. All right, not a problem. I look forward, and I hope you'll come back and join me again, and we'll uh, we'll maybe continue uh, and get into uh, some other discussions as well. But uh, but thanks for joining me tonight, Brett. I appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, Ted. All right. Have a great night. All right. All right. You too. All right. That was my very special guest, uh, Brett Freeman, uh, a great golf teacher professional out of Oklahoma, and uh, best way, as he said, to reach him is to go to freebirdgolf.com. And uh, there's a contact form there, and you can just send a message through there, and he'll be more than happy uh, to reach out to you. You can email through that uh, site as well. And uh, lots of good information. Go and, and read the site. That's freebirdgolf.com. And uh, you can learn all about uh, some of the, the great teaching uh, that Manuel De La Torre and uh, obviously Brett working together for many, many years have sort of cumulated and, and uh, brought forth. And, and he, he and, and Chris, of course, who was on last week, uh, talked about a, a little bit and, and uh, Brett in, in a little bit more detail tonight. And uh, they're going to share that on freebirdgolf.com. Uh, so you want to make sure you check out uh, that website. Uh, again, I want to also thank a uh, very special Coach's Corner panel tonight. It was very interesting. Uh, all ladies edition, if you will, Nicole Weller, uh, Michelle Holmes, uh, Zoe Allen, and of course, uh, Anna Deletta Daffin. Uh, thank you, ladies, for joining me on the Coach's Corner panel. And of course, uh, they're all part of the uh, little golf train and uh, if you want to learn more about that and maybe get in touch with uh, a conductor if you will in in your area go to littlegolftrain.com and uh, there's all sorts of information about that if you're a parent and maybe you want to get your uh, youngster into a program uh, through the little golf train uh, it'll tell you how to go about doing that or if maybe you're a golf professional that you might be uh, working with uh, juniors right now in in some capacity but maybe you want to learn more about uh, how to tap into a very valuable resource and maybe become a certified golf conductor uh, on the little golf train yourself. You can also visit that link, littlegolftrain.com, uh, and uh, find out how to become a certified uh, golf instructor. It's definitely well worth it. Nicole uh, runs a fantastic program uh, up in uh, Savannah, Georgia, and uh, she's just a, a great uh, asset to the sport. So thank you, ladies, uh, again, for doing a great job on the Coach's Corner panel. And uh, I want to thank all of you for faithfully tuning in each and every week uh, and joining me here on Golf Talk Live. Uh, I, as I say uh, all the time, I get a great amount of pleasure and enjoyment of working uh, and, and um, hosting some very uh, talented golf professionals, uh, both men and women, uh, from all over the country. And, 
and as tonight, you've got a great example of, of two great ladies from overseas that uh, joined in on the fun. So uh, it's not just a, a U.S. or a Canada or, or South America. It's a global game. Uh, and it's something that we can all enjoy and everybody's taking part. So uh, let's do what we can to help grow the game. And I'm going to continue to do my part. So I hope you'll join me uh, next week with uh, another Coach's Corner panel. We're going to have a great discussion next week and another uh, insightful guest uh, interview. So I hope you'll join me next week. Uh, on that note, God bless everybody. Have a great weekend. And I will see you next Thursday right here on Golf Talk Live. Take care. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.